If you were to do an internet search of the greatest against all odds military victories, you would find that the, the, the battle for the number one spot is debated. There is no absolute pick. The same is true in the world of sports, the greatest comebacks or so forth. But the one I like in the sporting world was in horse racing. In 1919, it's a long time ago, a two-year-old two colt named Man of War was beaten in the Sanford Memorial at Saratoga Park. Such was his reputation that the loss was considered, even at that time, to have been a major surprise. However, when one considers that Man of War eventually retired as arguably the greatest thoroughbred in the history of U.S. racing, with a record of 20 wins from 21 starts, his defeat in the Sanford Memorial becomes almost unfathomable. It may have been the biggest upset of any race in the 20th century. The horse that beat Man of War was named Upset. And the odds of Upset winning that day were 100 to 1. But there is one event in history that defied all odds. The greatest victory ever achieved is the title of the message this morning, and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the death. Death was swallowed up in what? In victory. Praise God. Now, in order for Jesus to conquer death, he actually had to die exactly as he predicted he would. In Matthew 16, 21, it says, From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised again the third day. Three times Jesus gave those specific facts out. Luke 23:44 says, And it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened, if you could imagine that scene. And the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost, which means he breathed his last. And when you take your last breath, you are dead. Jesus did, in fact, die on the cross. Now, it might seem a little bit foolish to say that he had to die before he was resurrected, but it's necessary because there have been numerous theories out there trying to explain away the resurrection of Jesus Christ, such as the, the stolen body theory. You've heard that one or the swoon theory. Now, the stolen body theory has been around for a long time. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 11 says, Some of the watch, that would be the guard, came into the city and showed unto the chief priests all the things that were done. And when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money to the soldiers, saying, Say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. So that explains the empty tomb. 
The swoon theory is the idea that Jesus somehow survived the crucifixion. He, he passed out or he swooned on the cross. And then in the coolness of the tomb, he revived. And, and lo and behold, somehow he managed to move the rock that sealed the tomb and escape. Now that one hardly merits a refutation. The Romans, we know, were experts at crucifixion. And they were absolutely certain that Jesus had died. In Mark chapter 14, or I'm sorry, Mark 15, verse 43, it says, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who also himself was looking for the kingdom of God, he took courage and he went to Pilate and he asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. Such was the brutality of the crucifixion of Christ. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse or the body to Joseph. In John chapter 19 and verse 32, it says, Then came the soldiers and broke the legs of the first, one of the two thieves who were hung by him, and of the other which was crucified with him. But notice verse 33. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was what? Dead already. They did not break his legs. Jesus did, in fact, rise from the dead, just as he prophesied many times. And his death and his resurrection can never be separated. Paul said in Romans chapter 4 and verse 25, speaking of Jesus, it says he was delivered for our offenses. He was delivered. He was put on the cross. He crucified and he died for your sins. He was delivered for our offenses. But he was raised again for what? Our justification. Our justification in the sight of a holy God. That we could have a righteousness given to us that we do not possess and that we could never earn. He was delivered for our offenses, and he was raised again for our justification. God had accepted Christ's death for us as the full payment for our sins. And the proof of that was his what? His resurrection from the dead. Now we know that the crucifixion was the climax of the, the passion of Christ. The wrath and the hatred of of sinners against God was on full display in the crucifixion of Jesus. How cruel can men be? We'll just read the story again of the Passion Week of the Lord Jesus Christ, the suffering that he endured that Friday on the cross. We remember the Passion and the death of our Savior here on church on Friday as we reflected on the cross and all that took place there. But that is something that, that we should do every day, right? Do you, do you pause at least one time during the day, at least once, to think about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Do you ever stop to preach the gospel to yourself 
You know, we, we like to preach the gospel to others, but we need to preach the gospel to ourselves. We need to remember what Christ has done for us, for us. That's a cause for thanksgiving. Looking at the death of Jesus, I want to speak to three things very briefly. The motive, the agency, and the method. What was the motive for his death? Well, we know that he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world in the plan of God. But on the human plane, Jesus' ministry was short, and and he had gained tremendous popularity, a large following of people. And that popularity was a threat both to the Jewish and the Roman authorities. The whole world, they said, the Pharisees and scribes, was going after him, and that was a threat to their position. Now, in the end, we know that his followers turned out to be, to be very few. And that's because people follow you only, only so long as you have something to offer them. And the Bible says that. You know, a man of wealth has many friends, right? Take away his wealth, he doesn't have as many friends. So people will follow you if you have something to offer them. But as soon as that is sort of coming to an end, they're not as close to you anymore. And that was the case with Jesus. They turned against him. So the motive was his tremendous popularity. The agency of Christ's death ultimately was the betrayal by Judas. Now again, he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. His betrayal by Judas, however, was predicted in Psalm 41, verse 9, where it says, Yea, my own familiar friend, in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. Now, that text was actually David, King David, speaking of his trusted friend and advisor, Ahithophel. Ahithophel joined the rebellion of Absalom against David. So someone whom David had trusted in and put confidence in and was close to betrayed him. And by the way, Ahithophel ended up hanging himself, just like Judas did. There must be tremendous guilt associated with betrayal. Judas is a case in the Bible of satanic possession. Satan used him to accomplish the most diabolical act in history. Now, he used others as well to bring about the death of Christ. There were many, many co-conspirators. Luke 22, 1 says, Now the feast of the unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover, and the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. They wanted Jesus dead. They would have killed him sooner, but he was so popular, they feared what the people would do. So they had to wait for the opportune time, which they did. But then it says in Luke 22, verse 3, Then entered entered Satan into Judas, surnamed Iscariot, being one of the twelve. Now, that was something that Jesus had also predicted. Back in John chapter 6 and verse 70, He says, have I not chosen 12 of you, but one of you is what? A devil. One of you is a devil. Meaning that Satan would eventually take hold of Judas. 
and use him to do what he did. Satan entered into Judas, the Bible says, and Judas turned against Jesus for a mere 30 pieces of silver, the price of a common slave. Now, I ask myself the question. We know Jesus or Judas was, you know, all about money. But was there more to it than money in the betrayal of the Lord Jesus Christ? Could it be that Judas became disillusioned with Jesus? Just like the crowd that greeted him on Palm Sunday and then eventually turned against him on Friday? Could it be that Jesus became, Judas became infuriated when he was in the house of, of Lazarus and Mary anointed him on that Saturday night for his burial? Remember, the, Judas had said, and probably others with him, why wasn't this money, you know, these, this uh, perfume sold and given to the poor, and then the commentary is not because he cared for the poor, right? But because he carried the money bag. So their money definitely was a motive. But Jesus rebuked them at that moment. And, th- and did that help to build the resentment in Judas's heart against Jesus? You know, researchers believe that the surname Iscariot, Judas Iscariot, is a form of the title Sicare. And you know what it means? Dagger men. Dagger men. And the dagger men were a group of ultra zealots who always carried a knife around with them to be prepared to assassinate anyone that they deemed sympathetic to Rome, a capitulator, a, tra- a traitor against the Jewish nation. When Jesus talked about dying on a cross, the disciples didn't understand him, really. Maybe Judas did. And maybe he judged Jesus to be a false messiah. He was just going to bring disappointment upon the people. We don't ultimately know all that was in his heart. But we do know this. That Satan will use whatever he can to get hold of a person's heart. And the Judas story also shows us that you can be a churchgoer And still be unsaved. Judas was one of the twelve. Judas served in ministry. Judas performed miracles. And yet he betrayed Jesus Christ. Judas also foreshadowed the Antichrist. I don't know if you know that, but 2 Thessalonians 2.9 tells us, Speaking of the Antichrist, even him, the Antichrist, whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. There's so many, so many admonitions in the scripture not to, de- be, to be deceived, especially in the latter times, because false prophets would come, claim to be Christ. People would be doing miracles or seemingly miraculous things. But when the Antichrist comes, he is going to do miracles. Because the power working inside him will be none other than what? Satan himself. Thirdly, the method of Christ's death. We know that was crucifixion. That was a very cruel and sadistic way to die. Now the Romans didn't invent crucifixions, but they perfected it. They perfected it. And when you stop and think about it, I mean, Jesus absolutely did nothing worthy of death. Nothing worthy of death but he died 
And he died out of necessity for our sins, which was the fulfillment of Psalm 22. That great prophetic passage in, in Isaiah 53. He who knew sin, no sin became what? Sin for us, Paul says. And there are many other prophecies in the Bible that spoke of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the good news that we celebrate here this morning is that death could not hold him. God has power over death. Listen to me. God alone has power over death. And the power of God over death is recorded in the Scripture. In all of human history, as recorded in the Bible, there were three resurrections in the Old Testament and there were seven resurrections in the New Testament to date, counting Christ's. In the Old Testament, Elijah the prophet raised the widow of Zarephath's son from the dead. His protege, Elisha the prophet, raised the Shunammite's woman's son from the dead. And then, and then the most unusual of all was what I called the dead bones resurrection. I remember the story? It's really, really, really quite amazing. After Elijah had died and was buried, a dead man came back to life by contacting his bones. Now, the dead man didn't have anything to do with that in and of himself, we're told in 2 Kings chapter 13 and verse 20 that Elisha died. I mean, that's the normal course for men, right? And he died, Genesis says in the genealogies. And he died. And she died. And Elisha died. And they buried him. And then it says that the bands of the Moabites invaded the land at the, at the, the coming in of the year at that time. So they're in the process of burying this man and these Moabite raiders are, are on the horizon and they see him. And it says that in 2 Kings 13, 21, and it came to pass as they were burying a man that behold, they spied a band of men and they feared, no doubt, and they didn't have much time. So they cast the man into the sepulcher of Elijah. It was, it was there, it was convenient. And when this man, this dead man, was let down, and his body, the Bible says, touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood up on his feet. And you had some very frightened men. I couldn't, uh, I couldn't imagine. More, they, were, they were more afraid of what happened then than the Moabite raiders coming into the land. But what does that story sh show us? It shows us that, that only the power of God can raise someone from the dead. There is no power in the bones of a dead man, even if he was a miracle-working prophet. It was God who did that. Now, in the New Testament, Jesus raised three individuals from the dead. The widow of, Nain, the widow of, of Nain's son in Luke 7 the daughter of Jairus in Luke chapter 8, and then the most you know, beloved and most, the one that we're most familiar with is what? Lazarus in John chapter 11. But also the Bible says that when Jesus died, and this is another really strange event, you know, a number of miracles happened there. The darkness on the land that came up upon the land and the, the, the curtain being torn in two from top to bottom and so forth. 
But the Bible also says that at that time, many of the, the saints in Jerusalem who had died and were buried were raised from the dead and they went about the city. Now that'll make the news. You know, Jesus told his disciples, his apostles, Matthew 10, 8, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely you have received, freely give. I like what J. Vernon McGee once said in commenting on this verse. We have a lot of faith healers today, but not too many faith raisers. And that's true. But you know, two of the apostles were were faith raisers. They raised people from the dead. We have two recorded apostolic resurrections. Peter raised Tapatha, whose name is Dorcas in the Greek, from the dead in Acts chapter 9. And then Paul raised Eutychus in Acts chapter 20. Here's a young man who had fallen three stories to death because he, to his death because he fell asleep in church. Right? I'm glad we don't have a balcony. But what makes the resurrection of Jesus unique among all those resurrections is that the fact that Jesus was the only person to participate in his own resurrection. How do you do that? Right? In John 2, remember the Jews came to him, verse 18, they said, the the Jews seeketh after sign, Paul says in Corinthians, and, and the Greeks' wisdom. So the Jews who who were seeking after a sign, they they came to Jesus and they said, what sign will you do to show to us, you know, basically who who you are and validate your claims, seeing that you do all these things? What, What more can you do? And Jesus answered and said unto them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Who will raise it up? I will raise it up. And, and the Jews, you know, who on another occasion Jesus says uh, it's a sinful and wicked generation that seeks after signs. The Jews says 40 and 6 years has this temple been in the process of being built. And you're going you're gonna to rear it up in three days? And then the commentary is, but he spoke the temple of his own body. Assuming that Jesus was crucified in 33 AD, Herod's temple was not completed until 64 AD. And then just a mere six years later, after all of this building process and all of this money and all of this effort went into it, the Romans came in and leveled it to the ground. Because, as we said last week, they did not recognize the day of Christ's visitation the Messiah's formal presentation of himself to Israel as their Messiah on Palm Sunday when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. But look at John 10, 18. No man taketh from me. That's his life. I lay it down myself. Aren't you glad he did? You know why he did? Because he loves you. Because he loves you. I wish more Christians would tell people that good news. That God loves them. I was listening to Charles Stanley and he was commenting. He said, 
You know, sometimes people say, well, I really don't know how to witness to people. And he says, okay, I'll tell you how to witness to somebody in just a few seconds. And you can know how to do it. You just go to them and tell them that God so loved them that he sent his only begotten son into this world and that if they would believe in him, they would have eternal life. And you could share your testimony with them. You don't have to make it difficult. Make it simple. Just, just glory in the love of God and the salvation that he accomplished. So Jesus says, no man takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power, which means authority to lay it down. He could have called what? Legions of angels. I, and I have power or authority to take it again. This commandment I have received of the Father. And then it says in verse 19, there was a division therefore again among the Jews for these sayings. And many of them says, he has a devil and he is mad. Why are you even listening to him? Now on the, on the human level, you can understand that people who say they will raise themselves from the dead, may have some sort of a mental delusion. But Jesus, Jesus had some very notable miracles that he performed before this as evidence, really, to back up the fact that he has absolute power. He can do whatever he will to do. He astonished people with his miracles. Just think of the great Galilean campaign. I mean, flocks of people who are coming to him. You know, a lot of people talk about healing today and divine, divine there are no divine healers. Only God is the, 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 the healer, the one. And nobody did the miracles that Jesus did. Nobody. Paul said in Romans 1, Verse 1, Paul, servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated into the gospel of God. That's what God had called him to do. His life calling was to preach the gospel. God separated him from every other, every other endeavor in life to proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, which he had promised before by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning, concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the gospel. Concerning his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord, who is made of the seed of David according to the flesh. He was God incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us. And then it says in Romans 1.4, and he was declared, declared, proven to be the son of God with authority, with power, according to the spirit of holiness, the working of the Holy Spirit of God by the resurrection from the dead. So the resurrection from the dead validated everything that Jesus said concerning himself. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ was, not, was accomplished, when you stop to think about it, by the power of the triune God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Galatians 1, 1 says, The Father raised Jesus from the dead. 1 Peter 3.18 says, That the Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. And as we've already seen, Jesus said himself, I will raise myself from the dead. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus had to pass through the portal of death 
to achieve the victory of the resurrection. Just like we all do, right? Except for the generation that will be alive on earth when the Lord returns. They won't have to die. But the dead will be what? Raised first. And the Lord will be coming with those believers who, who died. And they're going to receive their resurrected glorified bodies. What a, what a day that will be, right? What a day of rejoicing that's going to be. Isaiah 25.1 O Lord, thou art my God. I like the scripture. I will exalt thee. I will praise thy name. For you have done wonderful things. Thy counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. Listen. God is not man that he should lie. He is always truthful. Amen? And God is faithful. He will never disappoint you. He will never, ever leave you or forsake you. Listen, you are never alone if you are a Christian. You may feel like you are alone, but you are never alone. You have the indwelling, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. You have the promise of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lo and behold, I will be with you always, even unto the end of the ages, on to infinity. I will never leave you nor forsake you. You are my God. I will exalt thee. I will praise thy name for thou hast done wonderful things. Thy counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. He will swallow up death in victory. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. What, what passage of the New Testament do you think of? Book of what? The book of Revelation going to wipe away all of our tears. The Bible says the Lord stores our tears in a bottle, figuratively speaking. What does that tell me? It tells me that Jesus cares. Jesus cares about every tear you have ever shed. One day, no more tears. Only eternal joy. How many tears have been shed? by believers upon this earth. Could you count the number in your own life? God, our Lord and Savior, cares about all of those tears. And He's going to wipe them away one day. And the rebuke of His people shall He take away from off all the earth, for the Lord hath spoken it. And whenever God says, I will, He will. He will. Listen, resurrection, Sunday morning, was victory day. <laughs> victory day. You know the story, the delegation of, of the women who went to the tomb of, of, of Jesus on Sunday morning at dawn. They loved him dearly. John mentions only Mary Magdalene. The synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke mention several women. These women, they served Jesus in their life and they wanted to serve him in his death. Saddened, deeply saddened, grieved that he had been taken from them. They went there early in the morning, the dawn of day, to, to finish the, the burial process, to give him a, a proper burial, to anoint his body for death. 
They did not go there expecting to see an empty tomb. Upon the first day of the week, Luke says, 24.1, very early in the morning they came to the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher, this massive stone that sealed that tomb. And they entered in. And the text says, they found not the body of the Lord Jesus. The tomb was empty. Empty. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, and I would be too, behold, two men stood by them in in shining garments, angels of the Lord. And and as they were afraid, and and they they bowed down their faces to the earth in, 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 in front of these men in shining garments, they said unto them, why, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Think about that. He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again, and they remembered his words. The lights came on. And then it says, they returned from the sepulcher and told all these things unto the eleven and to the rest. And they were filled with joy. Right? No. They didn't believe them. They thought they were telling a tale. Now listen, sometimes... It is very good and profitable to remember certain things. To reflect on the promises of God. I said earlier, do you ever preach the gospel to yourself throughout the day? Do you ever stop to reflect on the promises of God, which are yea and amen in Christ, which means they will be fulfilled? Every word that God has spoken concerning you will be fulfilled. Every single word. Well, then it says in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 8 that these women departed quickly from the sepulcher. And what does it say? With what? With fear and great joy. And they did run to bring his disciples' word. There was a new spring in their step. A new spring. There was a new purpose. They had gone there for one purpose, to anoint his body for death. They left with a new purpose. Jesus changes things. He can change the purpose of your life. Instead of serving mammon, money, or seeking some earthly goal, he can can change you so that your new purpose in life is to serve him who died for you, was buried and rose again. They also had a new sense of urgency, didn't they? They ran. They ran back. What motivates you? What motivates you? What are you always urgent to do? Listen. 
They came in sadness, they left in gladness. That's what that text tells us. With great joy, rejoicing, they were totally amazed at what had transpired. They were totally amazed at what they didn't see. The body of the Lord Jesus Christ dead in that tomb. Psalm 30 verse 11 says, Thou hast turned for me my mourning into dancing. Thou hast put off my sackcloth, my sadness, and girded me with what? With gladness. That's those women who came to the tomb. Hey, they danced away, right? They ran back. You know, there's a Danish hymn. goes like this, a couple lines. From his prison, Christ has risen. Christ has risen in morning light. Hell weeps in sadness. Heaven sings with gladness. Heaven sings with gladness and great delight. From his prison, Christ has risen. Christ has risen in morning light. Angels biting bring good tidings. Bring good tidings at break of day. Sunbeams awaken. Death is forsaken. Heralds of heaven the news relay. Angels biting bring good tidings. Bring good tidings at break of day. Christ has risen. Psalm 30 verse 5. For his anger endures but a moment. In his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night. What a long night it must have been for those women. But joy cometh in the morning. There's a new day coming, brothers and sisters. No matter how much sorrow you have gone through in this life, or the sorrows yet to come, there is a new day coming. Weeping endures for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And let me tell you here this morning, on the authority of God's word, that that joy that will come is an eternal joy. We don't know what that's like. Our sorrows are many, our joys are fleeting in this world, and that's what we should expect. It's a sin-cursed world. But one day, eternal joy. Can't wait. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 19, If in Christ we have hope in this life, we are of all people most to be pitied. Yeah, I mean, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then, then we should be really pitied by people for believing in, in, in something that isn't true. But in fact, and I love that, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep in death. And that's what death is pictured as in the Bible. Just going to sleep for a time. For as by a man came death. Who's that man? Adam. Adam, through the fall. Sin entered the world, and the Bible says, and death by sin. For as man, by a man came death, and by a man also, who is that? The incarnate God, man. Fully God, 
fully man, the Lord Jesus Christ. By a man has come also the resurrection from the dead. Wow, praise God. The resurrection of Jesus Christ was the greatest victory ever achieved. Praise God for that. Now, here's my question. A lot of facts. I'm sure you agreed with, hopefully you agreed with everything I said here this morning. How has the resurrection of Jesus Christ impacted your life? You know you will live again, amen, right? You know you will see that those believers who died in Christ before you, you'll see them again, amen. You know you have a great high priest in heaven because the Bible says that after he died and rose again, he ascended into heaven and he sat down at the right hand of the Father. So you have a wonderful high, heavenly high priest. Amen. All of those things are wonderful truths. But in the course of an ordinary routine day in your life, does the resurrection of Jesus Christ make any difference? How has it impacted your life? How has it transformed you? Because we, there's no doubt it was a transforming event. Do you have victory over sin? Now we all sin. That's why the Bible says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive them. But, but are, you, are you working toward that kind of a holiness whereby you see yourself more and more separated from sin. That takes resurrection power. Do you have evidence of the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your talk and in your walk? In your willingness to love people who don't deserve your love? In your willingness to forgive people who you judged unworthy of forgiveness? Because you see, it was the Holy Spirit of God who was participating in, in resurrecting Jesus from the dead. So the Spirit of God has resurrection power. Do you see the fruits of the Spirit in your life? How has the resurrection of Jesus Christ impacted your life? Do you have such a strong belief in the gospel? The death the burial in the resurrection, that you must tell what Christ has done for you to other people. Listen, if your sports team made a tremendous comeback and won, I don't think you tell anybody about it. Sure you would. You get some good news, you don't keep it to yourself. Can I step on your toes a little bit? Then tell me why you keep the greatest news of all to yourself. If you never share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ 
with others. Tell me why you never do. Spirit of God. Man, the Spirit of God within us ought to compel us to speak to people. The power of Christ's resurrection provides all of those things and much more if we walk in the Spirit. The same Holy Spirit who participated in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Stop now as I, as I close. The Spirit of God who helped raise Jesus Christ from the dead indwells you. And indwells me. That ought to be a difference maker in our lives. Would you agree? Amen. Listen, we can leave here, go back to old ways, or we could walk in that newness of life. We can leave here and walk in the flesh, or we can leave here and walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we sin and it interrupts that fellowship between us and God, and the Spirit of God is grieved, we confess our sins, and He is faithful and just to forgive us. Restore the fellowship and say, Okay, my son, my daughter, now go out and and, and shine for me. Live for me. I hope your life has a real purpose to it. And if you're a Christian, I hope and I pray that that purpose is to full glorify God. To glorify God. To glorify Christ. You are His disciple. Follow Him. Father, thank you this morning for your word. The wonderful truths of the, the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ are relevant. They're just not facts recorded in a book that we say amen to. They ought to change us. They ought to change how we see the world, how we interact with other people. Lord, help us to surrender those areas of our life that we are holding back. Help us to walk in that newness of life. We praise you for what this this event accomplished. Not only for time, but for eternity. We praise you for the greatest victory ever achieved, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In his name I do pray. Amen.